Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info capitalchurch.co. I have a message. Um, it's historical, not hysterical. It's prophetic. It's prayerful. It's pastoral. I'm going to try to give to you a sense of what I believe God's doing both nationally, internationally, and with us personally. I'm going to try to put something in your heart that cannot be ripped out. And so I want you to stay with me. First of all, I'd like to pray. I want to pray uh, for Chris and his family. They've been under a sickness attack. Chris had a He's been over a week now uh, with bronchitis and sick. And the two boys, Presley caught something now. He's free from sickness, but Kingsley has it now. Connie's not feeling well today. We're rebuking that in Jesus' name. Also, we need to pray for Dr. Stan, who's in Pakistan right now. And Naphtali, his daughter's with him. Vieira's going to be there as well. We want to pray for them. We... Uh, frankly, Pakistan is the second largest Muslim nation in the world. And we need to pray that God would protect, hover, guide, release in every, every way. Okay? Would you join me right now? Come on, would you join me? Okay, let's agree. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you right now and we call upon the God of all creation, the God who made us and created the universe and put the stars in place and Lord, put us on this earth as ministers of the gospel, and we ask today that you would come down and you would show yourself most powerful. Lord, we pray for uh, the, the affliction that has come against Pastor Chris and the family. We rebuke it, and we command it to leave now in Jesus' name. We ask that you move in healing. Send your word and heal, for by your stripes we are healed. And I declare for everyone in this room that has battled sickness, Lord, for family members, we call on the God of healing, Jehovah Rapha. Come right now and heal in Jesus' name. Lord, we, we also ask that you would, you would move in, in Pakistan with Dr. Stan. You'd move in the, the meetings that they're having. You'd move in, in releasing blessing and increase and Many, many uh, would come to know you as they hold meetings. Let thousands come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. We pray you cover them, protect them. Lord, we pray Psalm 91 all about them in Jesus' name. They are under the shadow of your wings. They are protected. No evil shall come nigh their dwelling. And we, we command your grace and your anointing now in Jesus' name. I pray now for the anointing in this house. We pray that heaven would come down. We pray that heaven would electrify the atmosphere of this room and that you would speak to us and you would you begin to clarify things and you would release anointing and understanding, revelation, insight. Lord, let it all come today. Put things in place. I rebuke every spirit of distraction and I pray our focus would be on you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
12 years ago, almost exactly, in the month of October in 2007, I was sitting in the National Prayer Center, Washington, D.C. You've heard me, many of you have heard me tell the story. As I sat there in that October time period, I all of a sudden saw a black cloud coming from, coming across the Atlantic Ocean. And the Lord spoke to me and says, it's a, it's a cabal of, of, of evil plotting forces, principalities and powers coming from Europe, the Middle East and Africa, coming against coming against America, coming, and this is the words of the Lord, coming to bring Christianity down in America. That was 12 years ago. And at that point, I, frankly, I really didn't know what to do. And prayed and prayed and sought God and, Lord, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And so we did what we felt we, we could. Then he gave us, over the years, several things that we could do. I feel like God has now given us another step. For right now, that prophetic picture is taking place in America. Christianity is under assault in America. When major figures in America call for the restriction on religion, Christianity, calling on Christians to step back, saying God isn't welcome in the public sector, we can't pray in school, we can't read the Bible in school. Just recently I read where a five-year-old bowed her head in public school to pray for her lunch, one of the monitors comes by and tells her, you can't do that in school. On Sunday morning, November 5th, 2017, a gunman walked into the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. He wore tactical gear and a black face mask marked with a white skull, and he carried a semi-automatic rifle. He shot and killed two people outside the church, then went inside, walking up and down the aisle, cursing and shooting people in all the pews. He reloaded again and again, emptying 15 magazines of ammunition. When the gunman emerged from the church, he found an armed citizen facing him across the street, a former NRA firearms instructor named Stephen Wilford. The two men exchanged fire. Wilford hit the gunman in the leg and upper body. The wounded shooter limped to his car and sped away. He was later found at the wheel of his crashed car dead. The attack killed 26 people ages 5 to 72 and wounded 20. The killer had been court-martialed earlier in the Air Force for domestic violence. The slaughter of unarmed Christians in a church sanctuary was a cowardly attack on one church. But what happened after the church shooting was part of a wider war against Christianity. 
When this happened, I remember thinking, that's a despicable thing to happen in the natural. But then the Lord spoke to me and said, it's also happening in the spiritual. The shots are being fired all around Christians all through America and the world to dis disarm and to, to kill, to destroy. As news of the shooting broke, prominent Christians took to Twitter and Facebook and urged fellow believers to pray. But from Hollywood to New York to Washington, the secularists and the anti-Christian element responded with a chorus of jeers and insults. What good is prayer going to do? They were killed in a house of prayer. And they mocked and they jeered at the Christians across the world. Comments came from every quarter. I remember seeing it and in my heart grieving that America had turned to a place of anti-God, anti-Christ, and anti-prayer. And they yelled out, don't give me your thoughts and prayers. One TV host said, well, when Jesus of Nazareth came upon thousands of hungry people, he didn't pray. He fed the people. She doesn't know Scripture very well. For when he fed the 5,000, he prayed and thanked God and then fed them. You see, we must pray, but we also must act. But I'm telling you today, the church in America has lost its edge of prayer. Prayerlessness has inhabited the churches of America. Isaiah 56, 7 says, My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. I remember reading also in Psalms eleven three, and this has come so cognizant to me recently. Psalms eleven three says, if the, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You see, at around, around the same time that these people were mocking prayer, the Billy Graham rapid response team was already in action. They prayed and then they acted. They rolled into Sutherland Springs with 16 chaplains to comfort grieving families and help meet their material needs. The Southern Baptist Convention announced it would pay all funeral expenses for the 26 slain churchgoers. You see, this world is made up of flawed individuals. And it will be, continue to be a world of tribulations. But the Bible says, in this world of tribulations, rejoice, for I have overcome. And as we see uh, what has occurred over the last, there is an assault on Christianity. I, I recently read a report where 80% of the world is under religious persecution. 80%. I remember about the same time I had that, that vision. Now, that was before anything had happened in our nation that we would consider probably uh, 
anti-God, anti-traditional, etc. in 2007. None of that had occurred as yet. But there has come upon America and upon the world such an assault against Christianity. I remember in, in 2007, I, I heard about a book written by Christopher Hitchens, who is an atheist, who wrote, God is not great, and how religion poisons everything. At the same time I saw this cloud, books were being written about how God is not great, how religion poisons everything. You see, here's the problem. The, the present uh, cultural elements are trying to deceive you. The Bible says in Matthew 24, the greatest, the greatest battle that we will face in the end time is deception. You will not know. Deception is subtle. You don't know you're being deceived. You're being lied to. I find it interesting that, you know, I, I really respect Martin Luther King, and he said it's not, it's not the color of your skin. It's the content of your heart. But today, that is not what is being preached. Identity politics has come into play. Identity politics is another name. Let me just interpret it for you. Uh, can I just tell you, this is my wheelhouse so I know what I'm talking about. Identity politics is another name for Marxism. You separate people into the oppressed and the oppressors. You pit people against each other. So division takes place. And so that we identify people by their color, by their gender, by their religion, by all these different areas of, and you try to divide them because they cannot win the religious arguments or the spiritual arguments. And I see this happening around our nation, and I'm, and I, I ask, I, I ask God continually, and can I just be really open with you. I just get <clears throat> in my spirit. But when the <clears throat> comes in my spirit, I know God's saying something else to me. You need to pray. You see, we are not going to change the world simply by revolution or by we got better ideas than you. Everything starts in prayer. The message this morning is called history makers. I want you, by the end of this message, to be so stirred with faith that you will say, I want to be a history maker. Now, let me just say, I'm trying to be, oh, God, I'm trying to be so many things here, so please help me. We see today that there is an assault on the great foundations that are in our Constitution, but our Constitution is just simply a result or a fruit of Christianity and its basic foundations. So here's the issue. In America, we have lost two major battles on two doctrines. The doctrine of original sin, meaning that Christianity believes in original sin, meaning everyone is a sinner saved by grace. 
In other words, to be redeemed, you have to have a redeemer, and our redeemer is Jesus Christ. In other words, you came into the world evil. Everyone is of Adam's nature, and you have to be saved and redeemed in order to have life. In other words, every person has, their heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? But the anti-Christian, anti-God crowd will say, original sin is not the problem. We have cultural, institutional injustice. And so they will talk about injustice in all the different ways because what they want, now I'm just, I'm giving you the straight truth today. What they want is power. Once they gain power, they want to implement anti-God statement and corruption because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Christianity is based upon the fact that we have all sinned and we, are, we, are short, we, we find ourselves short of the glory of God. We must be saved by a redeemer. But what they want is the, is the institutions to save us. Can I just say that injustice does not come. Injustice itself is, is the result of human selfishness deceitfulness, malice, envy, greed, and lust. Society is not the cause of injustice. Society is merely a reflection of who we are. We cannot fix the problems that afflict us because the problems are us. So self-appointed social redeemers seek a lot of power so they can try to change us into their mold. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said this, the line, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. I'm telling you today that the other standard that I'm concerned about is the priesthood of all believers. We believe in original sin, not social sin. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, meaning that we all have the responsibility to be a priest. So today I'm calling you out of the pews into the priesthood. Now you got to stay with me. We're going someplace here. So, having said that, our foundations are being destroyed. Matthew 6, 9 comes and basically says, in this manner, pray therefore. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that as the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. We know that as, as a foundational prayer. We also know Matthew 26, 40 comes along at the end of Jesus' life. See, Jesus was telling us to pray. Jesus had something up his sleeve. The Bible says that Jesus was manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And so he comes along and he tells them in Matthew 6, when you pray, you got to say this. You got to do this. This is how you pray. Then at the end of his life, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's with his disciples, and we find him. It says, then he came to the disciples, found them sleeping, and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation, for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we have this, this picture of God wanting us to pray, God asking us to intercede at least an hour. Matthew 18, 19 says it this way, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
Luke eleven two. it says, uh, so he said to them, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. So I'm here today to call this church to another level of prayer. I'm calling us today to disavow prayerlessness. What if one church in one city in America decided to pray as never before? It doesn't take many. In the upper room, it was only 120. In Gideon's time, it was 300. In the Moravians' time, in 1727, the Moravians decided in Hernhut, Germany, to give everything to God. They, sent, they spent the next 100 years praying around the clock, and they changed the world through their missionary effort. And there was only about 1,000 of them to start with. And they changed the whole world. We are here today, a couple thousand at least. Could we not change things in such a way that we would abide by the word of the living God? And could we not change the culture of our, of our city, of our state, and our nation? I've always marveled at this, that cities that were supposed to be religious in nature still had a lot of crime. Why is that? Because God said in Matthew chapter 5, be salt and light, go into all the world, don't hide your, your, your light under a vessel. I think it's because the church does not start in prayer and then does not act. Are you with me? Okay, here we go. So here, I think the prayer that we're missing is intercession. Intercession is a, is, is a part of prayer. It's what it's, it's, it's offered on behalf of another. It's a man, a woman, a child who fights on behalf of others. It's, it, intercession is the activity that identifies us most with Jesus Christ because he is ever at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. To be an intercessor is to be like Jesus. And the kind of prayer that works with intercession, it, it works into the impossible and sets the new boundaries of possibility. Every believer is responsible for prayer intercession. In other words, there is no such thing as the gift of intercession. I dare you to go through Scripture and find it. Tell me where it is, because it isn't in there. Everybody is responsible as the priesthood of all believers to pray. And I'm, 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 I'm appealing, I'm, I'm asking, I'm, in a sense, begging. Let's get to be a people of prayer and see what God would do. You see, this church was founded on prayer. The DNA of this house is prayer. How many have been in this church 25 years or more? If those of the, the, that have been in this church 20, you know how the church was started many, many years ago through the seeding of prayer, how everything was birthed in prayer, maintained in prayer. And we've got to get to the point, and I'm here this morning declaring that I'm repenting for prayerlessness. I think over, and I'll be strictly honest with you, I think over the last 36 years that I've been in this church, and I've been here the whole time because I helped start it. <laughs> that over the last probably 25, probably 30 years, it, it got tiring praying because I was doing a lot of it by myself. But I'm calling the church to arise and be a house of prayer. What could we do if we prayed?
I think we need to say, I'm responsible. This is my ministry. I'm going to pray. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you some things that you could do very simply. Ezekiel 9.4 says, And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. Interesting scripture in this prophetic book. It says that the word mark here, they marked their foreheads who, over those who were sighing and crying over the evil that was in their city. That word mark in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word tau, T-A-U, and it was written and appeared like a cross. So they had the mark of the cross upon their forehead. The mark was put on the forehead of each person who was sighing and crying for their city. And I believe today the Holy Spirit desires to put the mark of the cross upon all believers who would pray and sigh and cry out for their cities. The mark of intercession may be upon us as we pray and seek his face. Intercession is the responsibility of every believer in every city for every nation. It is one of the main purposes of the church. Yes, we evangelize. Yes, we teach. Yes, we, we worship. Yes, we equip. We do all these things. But the main business of the church is prayer. If you do all those other things, in fact, you know, if I was the devil, you know what I'd try to do? And I'm not. But if I was the devil, what I'd try to do? I'd try to make this church prayerless. Because let, let them evangelize, let them teach, let them do all the things, because there will be no anointing on it. It won't produce any fruit. But with prayer, you had the anointing. Now, watch me here carefully. In every generation, throughout the course of history, there's always been a yoke assigned to the generation and an anointing that God wants us to grab. The anointing, according to Isaiah 10, 27, always breaks the yoke. That generation, every generation, has the responsibility to grab the anointing and break the yoke. The only way the anointing comes is through asking for it in prayer. David's generation had had a yoke that was assigned against it. Gideon's generation had a yoke that was assigned against it. Daniel's generation had a yoke that was assigned against it. Our generation has a yoke assigned against it. And the only way we can break it, that yoke is sent by the devil, and God wants to anoint us to break it today. And the only way we will do it is through constant persevering and pressing prayer. In Matthew, the very first function of the church, in Matthew 16, the first time Jesus talks about the church, you know what the very first function of the church is? Is to bind and loose. Is to pray. Is to seek his face. 1 Timothy 2.1 comes along and says, I therefore, I exhort, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. In other words, the first, first, first mention of prayer for the church in Matthew, and then the first mention in the pastoral epistles is for us to pray for our leaders, to pray for those in authority, that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. It's to pray. We are God's chosen priests. 
We must get out of the pews. We must pray. And we must choose to specifically fulfill the ministry of prayer. Our real purpose in life is to fulfill the high calling of prayer. You have a vocation, but you have a calling that's higher than your vocation. Your vocation is to to supply your substance, but your anointing through your priesthood is to give you your true fulfilling and high calling of prayer to bind the enemy and to destroy his works. We're God's hands, feet, and mouth. 1 Timothy 2, the the scripture I just read, the word intercession is the word intuxus, which means a prayer with a set meeting time, place, and purpose. It's to stand in for another. It's a free-flowing, bold prayer. I love prayer because it's exciting. Prayer is exciting. It's not just this boring thing. Now, when we get into prayer, we get into prayer. There are two other words for intercession in the New Testament. Intuncino and hooper intuncino. They mean to fall in with, meet with in order to converse. Which it means to make a petition or intercede on behalf of another. The labor of prayer is simply to agree with God. As you pray, God will speak to you. You agree with God. You speak it into being. It's done, and then you act upon it. The first Hebrew word for intercession is the word palal, P-A-L-A-L. It means to pray, to intervene, to mediate as a judge, and to come between two parties. But there is a second Hebrew word for intercession, which is fascinating. It means to encounter. It's paga. P-A-G-A. It means to encounter, meet with, reach, or stretch onto, to entreat, to strike, to touch, or to attack. We as the church are being called to return to our first ministry call, which is intercessory prayer. I remember this, this story years ago. One day, a young man in Alexander the Great's army was caught fleeing from the battle. And as he was brought before Alexander, He responded with fear. He said, Sir, my name is Alexander. And filled with anger that this coward would share the same name as he did, Alexander the Great demanded, What did you say your name was? He was terrified. He said, My name is Alexander. Alexander the Great approached him, stared straight into his face, and said, Young man, either change your conduct or change your name. We as Christians are living in a season in which we need to either change our conduct or change our name. God has given us a priority, a call to intercession. we gotta, we got to reach now back into the conduct of intercession to take up his mighty weapon of prayer and intercession. We bear his name. We are supposedly Christians. One Sunday night in April 1912, an American woman was very, very weary, yet she could not sleep because of this blanket of fear that came over her. And at last she felt a burden of prayer. She began to travail and, 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 and pray. She was praying for her husband, who was then right in the, mid, in the middle of the Atlantic, homeward bound on the Titanic. As the hours went by, she could get no assurance, and she kept praying in, in agony until about 5 o'clock in the morning, when all of a sudden a great peace came over her. Meanwhile, her husband, Colonel Gracie, was among the doomed hundreds who were frantically trying to to launch the lifeboats from the ship. He had himself given up all hope of being saved and was doing his best to simply help the women and children get into the lifeboats. 
It was said that he wished he could get a last message to his wife and tell her goodbye. Then all of a sudden, the ship plunged to its watery grave, and he was sucked down in this giant whirlpool. As the ship was sinking, he, he uh, instinctively began to swim, even as it was very, very cold. Suddenly, he came to the surface. He popped to the surface and found himself near an overturned lifeboat. Along with several others, he climbed aboard and was picked up by another lifeboat about, at about 5 o'clock in the morning, the very time that the peace came on his wife's being. I believe the desire of the Holy Spirit is to motivate entire congregations into a deeper level of prayer that we would have story after story of the miracles of God through the supernatural powers of God in awesome ways. Intercessory prayer is the spear that focuses with authority on the desired circumstance. The force of intercession is one of the greatest weapons known to the Christian. Acts 12.5. Peter's in prison. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And we know the story. I don't want to go through the whole story. The, 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 the jail cells were thrown open and Peter was released. He walked out. How? Because he wanted to? No, because prayer was made for him by the church. Intercessory prayer is needed to release healing to our troubled, the troubled waters of our society. Exodus 15, 25, it says Moses, uh, Moses actually threw a tree into the waters, the, the, the bitter waters, and, and the waters became sweet. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. We see that he threw the, the tree into the bitter waters, and the waters became sweet. I believe the waters of our nation are bitter today, but the tree of God himself must be cast back into the waters to make it sweet. The tree is the cross. We've got to preach the cross, the cross. Jesus crucified and resurrected. God's answered answers for the troubled waters in this world. Is the, is the foolishness of Christ. Intercessory prayer is what opens the eyes of all who fear the odds that they face in life. You know what the, what the answer is to the, to the prodigal in your family? It's intercessory prayer. Do you know what the answer is to, to things and oppression that's coming upon you? It's intercessory prayer. Do you know what, what nations what, what will come to know? Because God wants us to disciple nations. Nations will not come to God, however, without intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer opens eyes. 2 Kings 6.15 says, this is a fascinating scripture in the Old Testament. He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who were with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. If I prayed that today, you would see the same thing here. All around us are myriads of angels and fiery chariots and those who are ready to be beckoned at our call through intercessory prayer to come and destroy the works of the evil one. Intercessory prayer also releases the ministry of angelic ministering spirits. Hebrews 1.13, it says that, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? In other words, God has set angels as ministering agents as those to help you in your walk on earth. Some of you, I mean, we all have, 
We have guardian angels. Some of you probably have more than one because you need it. I think I'm one of those. God, give me all you got. That's why I pray Psalm 91 all the time. I remember another story concerning intercessory prayer during the graveyard shift in a subway station. I think it was New York City. Many years ago, one of the workers leaned against a rail looking down at the subway tracks below him. And the rail broke. And the man plunged about 20 feet to the, to the tracks as the onlookers watched helplessly as a train is coming. It bore down on the unconscious form lying on the tracks, directly in the path of death. And as people stared in shock, this is a true story, something invisible picked the man's body up and threw him parallel outside, parallel to the tracks, just as the train flew by. Unharmed and unshaken, he wakes up. The man stood up and asked the onlookers, what happened? No one had an answer. After a shift, the man returned home to find his six-year-old daughter waiting for him at the door with tears in her eyes. Running to him, she threw her arms around him and cried, Daddy, I'm so glad to see you. In the middle of the night, an angel woke me up and told me to pray for your safety. I'm so glad you're alive. Psalms 9111 for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. I'm here to tell you we belong to a supernatural God. But in living our lives, we got to be careful that we don't just treat God and church as something for me. It's all about me. I get saved. And I get fire insurance and life insurance and I get the privilege and the blessing of God, and we're always praying. How much do you pray for others more than yourself? That's what an intercessory prayer is. You see, stay with me. Intercessory prayer establishes true boundaries. In the Old Testament, God gave boundaries to nations, families, and cities, and those boundaries were intended to stretch all the way to their furthermost reach. Those boundaries were not allowed to fall short of that mark. God still establishes boundaries today for individuals, families, nations, churches, and cities. And the boundaries for each of our lives were set by God's divine wisdom. They were predestined according to Scripture. God has a unique predestined destiny for each life in this room. And I can dare say that probably every one of us are far below God's predestination or his destiny for our life. These spiritual boundary lines apply not only to each individual life, but to each church, each city, each nation. The Holy Spirit hedges us in, in our boundary. But the devil also tries to set boundary, low, for, boundary lines for us that are much less, to shrink us, to bind us, to pull us back, to remove the spirit of faith in us. And through faith and intercessory prayer, we are to move the boundary lines Back to God's prescribed position. That is the word paga in the Old Testament. The Old Testament word for baga is the, the boundary that God has predestined for your life. So as you pray intercessory, you actually move your boundary back to where God had destined it. Devil strives to ruin your life. 
This is what I like to say. God gave you a 10,000-acre ranch, and you're living on a one acre. He shrunk it. The devil shrunk it to one acre, and you're happy with it. Don't be happy with it. Through intercessory prayer, we, be, we begin to sense the true borderlines, the true boundaries. Faith grows, and our, our intercession has a goal and a vision to it. It was not there before. For you personally in, in the church, I have, this, I have this boundary in the church that you wouldn't even believe. I believe for it for years. I've seen it in the, in, when I walk in the lobby, I've seen thousands of people knocking on the windows attempting to get in. I've seen all this. I've, we've seen angels landing on the property next door. We've seen angels landing on this property. And we've seen the thousands of people impacted, not just in Boise and the Treasure Valley, but in the nation, in the world. When we pray intercessory, we, we restore ourselves to the destined border. Billy Sunday said this. How many of you have personally met the devil today? If you have not met the devil today face to face, then you are probably going the same direction that he is. In other words, through prayer, you're going to face some obstacles. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Paul said, I have a mark. I have a mark to reach. I have a boundary line to stretch to. We must give up our small ambitions and our reject mediocrity and stretch beyond the limitation. We've got to press. We've got to push. Some of us are just so apathetic. I'm, look, can I tell you, I'm preaching to me today. And if, if it hits you, go ahead and take it. We got to press. We got to push. We got to passionately pursue God in such a way that we push into and speed on because we're in a race. We have to push out strenuously and powerfully. The Hebrew word for border means a cord twisted and set around an object to show a set boundary, a territory enclosed by fences. There is a difference between God's border for our lives, our own borders, and the devil's borders. We must establish our God-ordained borders. What does that mean? we got to remove satanic limitations. you got to start praying, let not the, the Satan limit me. Stop my spiritual growth. Satanic, satanic limitations can be grief, sorrow, worry, doubt, fear. They're not of God's making. They're caused by negative strongholds. Pray them out in Jesus' name. And we're to spiritually stretch and enlarge. Self-imposed boundaries must also be broken, such as carnality and sin and negative personality traits. Pray that you press past that. We must, we must remove spiritual parasites. A parasite lives off a host giving nothing in return. A parasite attaches itself to a, to a healthy system to drain off energy in life. If you feel like just drain sometime, you got a parasite. What do you do for parasites? You take some medicine to knock it out. A parasite clings to us. We remove through power of prayer in intercession the parasites of insecurity and fear and emotional strongholds. We must eliminate spiritual enemies in Jesus' name. Paga also means to attack to fall upon or to encounter the enemy. We've got to do all these things. In the same way, the only way we can be successful in our attack is to know that our power is in Christ, it's not in us. And intercession, or paga, creates meetings. The word paga also means to meet. Intercession is not, now let, catch this. Intercession is not primarily a prayer a person prays 
It is a position a person takes. And it can only be done in prayer. Its Hebrew word does not necessarily mean prayer at all. Intercession creates a meeting. Intercessors meet with God. They also meet with the powers of darkness. That's where we get the term prayer meeting. Often our meeting with God is to affect another meeting. We meet with him asking him to meet with someone else. And he does it. On a trip to Guatemala a few years ago, a couple were asked to, in fact, there was a group of them, were asked to pray for a woman who was in this make-do hospital. She had tuberculosis. They walked into the ward, just a kind of a warehouse building. There was approximately 40 other women there, and the beds were only about three feet apart with no, no partition between them. As they talked and prayed with this one lady, they noticed a lady next to her was very uh, alert and was listening. When they finished praying for this lady with tuberculosis, the lady next to, to her asked if they would be willing to pray for her. And they asked, well, what, we, what can we pray for? She pulled her blanket off, pulled her arms up, and showed that her two arms curled back towards her body, somewhat frozen in that position. And they were totally unusable. Her feet were also in the very same way. While in the hospital for back surgery, the doctor had accidentally cut a nerve in her spinal cord, leaving her in that condition. There was nothing they could do to correct the problem. They went to her and they asked the Lord for a meeting and to meet her need. Nothing happened. They said, keep praying, keep believing, and they began to visit other women and pray for them. About three minutes later, they heard this woman shout, Malagro, 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 meaning miracle in Spanish. They turned to look and see this lady moving her hands wildly, opening and closing them, wiggling her fingers, kicking her feet, for she was totally healed. It created a meeting. And so as we close this service today, we want, I'm challenging you to take intercession and prayer seriously. That day, several were saved in that hospital. The lady with tuberculosis was healed. Another lady was healed. This woman that I mentioned was healed. And almost all of them were sent home the next day. Prayer meetings create God meetings. Matthew 16, 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The word loose here is the word luo. It means to pronounce or determine that something or someone is no longer bound, to dissolve or void a contract or anything that legally binds. Jesus came to dissolve the legal holds Satan had over us and to pronounce that we are no longer bound in Jesus' name. Satan has no more dominion over us. We, through prayers of intercession, we meet the powers of darkness, enforcing the victory of Christ, accomplished when he, when he came to the earth and he rose from the dead. We are here today to be his hands, his feet, 
and his body to declare the works of God today in miracles. Can I just tell you right now, miracles will not happen in this church unless this church starts praying. Deliverance will not happen unless the church starts praying. Prodigals won't come unless the church prays. I'm not just talking about a little, a little dabble, do you? A little prayer. I'm talking, we've got to press. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm appealing to you. If you've done what you've, if you, if you will do what you've always done, you're not going to get much. But if you will increase what you're doing now, if you're praying five minutes a day, start praying 15 minutes. If you're praying 15, start doing a half an hour. Because I, my goal is to get everybody in this church to pray an hour a day. What, isn't that what Jesus said? He said, could you not tarry with me one hour? That's all he's asking. One hour. One hour. And I'll teach you to pray. I'll show you how to do it. We'll, we'll put things online. We'll, we'll have prayer meetings. We'll show you how to do it. We are beginning a thrust in prayer in which we're, we're going to believe that everyone in this church can be a part of the prayer ministry of this house. The Lord spoke to me about 45 years ago, and he said, Ken, in your ministry, if you will take Nehemiah chapter 4 and put it into operation, it will change your, the community you're in. What is the story of Nehemiah chapter 4? It's rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem and how fast they did it in 52 days. And what occurred was this. What occurred, they put families in places around the wall. And then what they did, half of them built while half of them guarded. The Lord spoke to me and said, if you'll get at least half the church praying at all times, you will see miracles you cannot even imagine. If we have 2,000 or 2,500 people in this church, what if half of us were praying at all times? At, 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 at most of the time, in other words, we have prayer activated. We're, we're, gonna put, we're putting together uh, on our website an opportunity for every one of you to sign up for a prayer hour. We're going to do that in the next few weeks so that we're going to have someone praying at every hour of every day, 24 hours a day, and if the Moravians could do it for 100 years, why can't we? And if it changed the world they were in in Hernhut, do you know they just had the 290th celebrated year for Hernhut? A friend of mine went over there and he said, Pastor Ken, it still feels like God's there. Our day. We're going to give you all the ways we're going to pray in the next few weeks. I'm not going to unveil it all day, but we're going to have a small group of prayer. We're going to have early morning prayer. We're going to have noon prayer. Do you know, this is interesting. Are you still with me? I know I'm going a little long here, but I don't really care this morning. Back in 911, Connie and I were stuck in Washington, D.C. We heard the explosions at the, at the Pentagon. It was the most surreal day I'll probably believe in my life. By Friday, we were able to get out. We were one of the first ones to get out because planes weren't going. We had to go to Baltimore to get out of there. We flew into Minneapolis, and we had a layover. So we decided to go to the Mall of America and, and get a couple things that we needed, which is only a few miles from the airport. We went to the Mall of America, and it was astonishing because it was about noon. And we walked to several, almost every other store had a sign on the window, closed during noon hour for prayer for our nation. I've never seen that one before. And then I recall back in 1906, 1907, 1908, that noon hour prayer happened all over the nation. New York City, Portland, Oregon. 
They had noon prayer for all the businesses, and they, would, they began to expand, not just an hour, but two hours, three hours. It brought revival in America and the Wales, in the nation of Wales. I'm, I'm here to tell you, if we decide to get serious about prayer, it's going to change some things. It's going to it's going to push back. You're going to find your family being blessed beyond measure. Remember a couple, a couple weeks ago I talked to you about the house of Obed-Edom? Remember the house of Obed-Edom for three months had the Ark of the Covenant in it. And they were blessed beyond everything they did was blessed. I'm telling you, if we'll get involved in intercessory prayer, we will become the house of Obed-Edom and this place will be blessed beyond measure. Your family, your children, your business, everything will, will see the blessing of God. Our city will be blessed. Our nation will be blessed. We're, we're, we're trying to put together prayer. Now, here's one, one thing we're going to do even starting this Saturday. Connie and I started going up this last spring up to Faith Heights to pray one, one day a month. And we would go up into the... Uh, the upper room, we call it, the auditorium in, at Faith Heights, and we begin to pray. It's amazing what's up there. I don't know what's going on, but we were just there with the interns this week, and God does something amazing in that room. So this week we have a work day there on Friday and Saturday, but I've, I've talked to some of the team, and we've decided that we're going we're gonna to work Friday, we're going to work Saturday until noon. From noon to one, we're going to have a prayer meeting in that upper room. If you want to come to our, our work day and then work with us and pray during that hour, you can. Or if you just want to come up for the one hour from 12 to 1 on Saturday and pray with us, please do. We're going to start there this week. And then we're going to give you more additional understanding of what we're going to, because we're going to have early morning prayer. We're going to have, we're going to have, I don't know, it's going to be back into Saturday night prayer and noon prayer and whatever prayer we can get. Steve, thank you for leading prayer. At 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock, we have prayer here before first service. So we're going to have prayer. More, more prayer is better than less prayer. And you've heard me say this. You will hear me say this until I die. Prayers don't die. All we do is add our prayers to those who prayed before us. i got to close. I'm challenging you to lift your prayer level. And be a history maker for God because it's the intercessors that shape history. Now, I'm going to play a song for you.